0: do you have an inner critic? That part of you that picks you up on everything you do? Well, I think we all do from time to time. I I know certainly I do. And I just complained about the way I looked when I spoke to Jess a minute ago, uh, such as lockdown. Anyway, uh, we all have an inner critic, but some of us have uh, worse in a critics than others and it can really impact their lives, it can stop them making progress, it can stop them making the right decisions for them and it can certainly affect their self-esteem and their levels of stress. So today I'm talking to psychologist Jess Baker uh, about this very uh, common subject uh, to try and find, shed some light on it to see if we can find some ways through. But first of all, I'm going to ask Jess what it is that stresses her out on a day-to-day basis.
1: Oh honey, so many things. Um, I try to be the Zen warrior, you know. Um, I think time, time really stresses me out. I think when I'm not meditating, I do a daily 20 minutes. And when I don't do that, I really notice yeah. my mind flitting and time almost feeling like I'm not in control of it, you know, and it just kind of flows away. And I'm I'm working on so many different little things. I have to be really strict with how much time I give to things. Yeah. And often if I have clients, you know, emailing saying, can we just have a quick chat? You know, I have to prioritize, okay, how how urgent is that really? And how urgent is the other thing, there are the other things that I'm doing. So for me, it's it's that time management piece. You know, it's really it's always an interesting relationship with time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That would be a good one to, to do a talk on uh, or to do an interview on because it's it's a very common problem. Yeah. I love the idea of the Zen warrior. I think I try to do that, but uh, I, I don't think I'm always as Zen as I could be when I'm being a warrior, though. <laughs> anyway. well, say it's a warrior, not a warrior. Anyway. A warrior, yeah, a warrior, that, I, 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 that's what I heard. Um, anyway, so let's talk about the subject at hand. Uh, what is the inner critic?
1: So let's start from the kind of very basics. Um, we have about 90,000 thoughts a day, some, depending on where you look on, on, uh, <laughs> on Google, um, between 70,000 and 90,000 thoughts a day. Most of those thoughts are on repeat, Most of those thoughts are negative. The brain is not wired to be happy. The brain is wired to protect you and keep you alive. So when I talk about the inner critic, I'm specifically mentioning those thoughts that are not helpful. So the helpful thoughts are um, planning, uh, working something out, problem solving, writing a to-do list, you know, oh, I've got that thing to do, okay, oh, I need to go and, you know, pre-lockdown, collect the dry cleaning or pick up the kids, you know, whatever it might be, that's useful, those are useful thoughts. The unhelpful thoughts are, as you've already mentioned, you know, I don't look very good today or um, I'm rubbish or am I really the right person for this job or um, am I really the expert, you know, how will people will laugh at me, I'll humiliate myself in some way. Um, Those thoughts are, you know, vast and varied. Um, And we can have them on repeat and what sometimes happens actually, Trisha, what I found in my work. So I've been working on this subject for, well, personally, all my life. (laughs) Um, And with other people for the last five to 10 years, really, I've been doing a lot of work focused on the inner critic. And what I found is that we tend to internalize messages when we're younger. And when we're growing up, you know, we have a parent or a teacher or a bully or somebody randomly actually might say something in the vicinity, the way you've heard it being said, and you've absorbed that judgment, that negative judgment as your own. It's really strange, but some people actually do trace I work. When I work with people, I try and help them trace back to where they first heard it or if there's a particular theme around something. And it might be as seemingly banal as your handwriting is messy, but every time you pick up a pen and you write, you hear that same thought. Yeah, and you yeah. might be in your forties or your fifties, but it's that that thought, you know, that criticism that may not seem huge is still kind of nitpicking away at you. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, you know, that's the kind of banal stuff, but then obviously you've got the more serious, um, horrible, cruel things that one says to ourselves. If we were to say them to a friend, we wouldn't have any
0: friends absolutely yeah it's funny how we do that isn't it I wonder why it is that we do that we treat ourselves so badly uh, in a way that we wouldn't treat even our worst enemy uh, it's very strange um how we somehow think that that's okay
1: yeah and I I think a lot of the times we misconstrue the inner critic and I have heard people say this quite a lot um where we say "Oh, but it's helpful you know, my inner critic actually helps me get stuff done because I'm berating myself and criticising myself. I'm I'm therefore going to deliver to a higher standard. And I really, I, I think that's so sad and so tragic because, and from my own personal experience of having a massive inner critic, that doesn't help you in any way whatsoever. That's just your inner critic messing with you again. You know, your inner critic doesn't want you to let go of it. Your inner critic wants to stay around and stay alive and kind of feed off your self-doubt and self-sabotaging behavior and say, "Mm, there you go, I told you you were rubbish, you are, aren't you? Um, And instead, one of the two principles really I have towards working with the inner critic, Trisha, that I'd like to share with your audience is that you can't strive to get away from this thing. You can't bury it, you can't deny it, you can't stop it. It's unstoppable. It's always gonna be there. It's part of your psyche. It's what you might refer to as your shadow self. And my approach is the opposite because the more you try and get away from something, you know, the more we try and deny or delay taking action on something, what happens, it becomes bigger and bigger. Absolutely. Yeah. And so my approach is to befriend it, to take, get to know your inner critic, like it's because it is part of you. And in a way, it might be even trying to be helpful, it might be trying to berate you so that you do the best job. But those thoughts aren't ever thoughts that we take action upon. So instead of working from this place of fear, And I call it healing that fear. We want to come from a place of self compassion, which may sound really cheesy. Um, And to anyone listening to this, might go, oh, that sounds weird. I'm fine. Thanks. That was my reaction to self compassion and, and being kind to myself for many, many years. But then learning that actually I can still do a fantastic job. But when I'm motivating myself through liking myself or appreciating my values and my strengths, I can put those to better use, and I actually enjoy the journey much better than if I'm motivating
0: myself through fear and anxiety. It, it's it's a really interesting and complex issue, isn't it? I, I think there's something, because uh, there's lots of schools of thought around this, and, and one area, which I quite like, is thinking of, you know, you said that, um, it's helping you, thinking of what is the positive intent? So if the positive intent um is to help you be your best then great but acknowledging that's not the most helpful way and okay so how can i how can i improve a little more is a more compassionate way of saying the same thing mm, um yes oh, and no <laughs> you're allowed to agree there's <laughs> some thoughts on that one. Oh, um, To disagree i think is what i should have said
1: um so I think there's this you know there are phrases in fact one of my coaching clients is using one at the moment I've just asked her not to whilst she's working with me because I think it's really unhelpful it's like in in every day and everywhere I'm getting better and better because that's actually feeding your inner critic that's actually you saying to yourself I'm not yet better I'm not yet good enough so please can we remove that hope or desire for better that is driven by fear and anxiety of not being good enough so I think from the self-compassionate perspective we need to be coming from I am already enough I am good enough I have enough skills I have enough experience to do this thing yes of course if I look at the people that I'm comparing myself to and normally I'm comparing myself to somebody who is nothing like me and not my peer but someone with 10 years more business experience or a massive media following or Um, you know whatever industry you're in the the most professional cake baker (laughs) then that's not helpful either there are
0: two things at play here There's really interesting dynamic and it is very interesting because I I agree with what you say Um, uh, but to me because when when people see me they want to improve in a particular area so what I'm trying to balance out is um, absolute unconditional self-acceptance within the context of, and, uh, you know, enjoying a process of evolving rather than judgment.
1: Absolutely, Yeah. (laughs) As I was gonna say like the next part of the conflict is that, you know, we have Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which actually was based on theory from Karen Horney, the first feminist psychologist. And it was her working along um, with Abraham as well saying, talking about, but there's a strive, we all strive to be better, yet we're also at the same time telling ourselves we're not good enough (laughs) so how do we work with that dynamic yeah in the hierarchy of needs I'm sure you know um you have this pyramid shape and we're all working towards to get into the the top of it where we self-actualize yeah and and we're looking to like you know the Baroque advert do you ever remember that um where like years ago like, (laughs) like, you know on a treadmill in a park it's it's just brilliant that always struck me as yes that's exactly what most of us are trying to achieve yeah version of ourselves and you're absolutely right i think with managing the inner critic through being compassionate by saying and i'm actually already there you know if i were to ask my friend or my boss or my colleague how do you think i'm doing at the moment they'd be saying oh my god you're fantastic you're blowing them all out of the water You're, you're doing so well yet we discount that message so we're good at internalizing the negative stuff to come back to my previous my original point And we're really bad
0: at internalizing the positive, nice. um, I wanted to pick you up on that because that is so true, isn't it? So when you said earlier about the the bad thing that somebody says, and often it is just very small, but sometimes it's, we focus on the general message and pick up all of the evidence that, that uh, reinforces that. Why do people find it so hard to internalize the positive messages, which are also there?
1: And I, I do think that's fundamentally because of the brain structure and the way the mind works. Mm. When we look at um, how we naturally want to um, repel negative emotions and negative feelings, the way that we do that, we don't counter them with positive stuff, the way we do that is actually to focus on them more. <laughs> it's almost because the brain is, is wired to protect us, you know that fight or flight or freeze yeah. phenomenon we experience, we used to, you know, we've had that, we um, humans, mammals, have had that for a very long time, you know, however many millennia you want to go back, um, you know, 200,000 years, let's say. Um, and what happens now though, is that instead of how our ancestors would have had to, which is respond in the moment, you know, if my uncle John, let's call him, um, came face to face with a cave bear, he would have had, his amygdala would have been firing saying, run or fight, run or fight. You haven't got any time to think about this. No time to think problem solving skills, mm, you know. Um, you you don't have those um, to draw on in that moment. Mm-hmm. And they were life-threatening scenarios. What's happening now is that we have perceived life-threatening scenarios yeah. we're reacting in exactly the same way to an email from your boss coming in at 9 30 a.m saying speak to me phone me immediately you know or 4 30 p.m saying come into my office now what's your immediate thought most people I speak to say "I've d- that I've done something wrong they jump to the negative conclusion so we're seeing this pseudo- you know, neutral event, really. And he might or she might just want to be saying, hey, well done on that thing. You know, I just heard you on that client call and you were brilliant. Um, but actually we jump to the negative conclusion because we're trying to protect ourselves. Mm. You know, it's, that, it's that primal um, uh, experience. Uh, the, the brain is taking over, a kind of emotional brain is taking over the, the logical brain. And that's when I say to clients, you've got to find the gap you know, learning to find the up, learning to listen and tune into that inner critic or those worrying thoughts. And then trying to pause on that, to catch it, to then say, do I really need to be worried right now? I can feel my heart racing. I can feel my palms getting sweaty. Is this really a life-threatening scenario or is there an alternative way of looking at that? Okay. Maybe my boss does want, does just want to say, well done, or maybe just checking in with me in a neutral fashion. Mm. Uh, so then you remind yourself in those moments that you've got a choice on how you respond to those negative thoughts you don't just normally jump straight into them
0: and kind of feel it and let those thoughts absorb you and your focus there's a phrase that I really like which is you don't have to believe everything you think absolutely <laughs> Isn't that just great? do I have to believe this no can I be open to believing something else yes <laughs> it's just kind of uh, Uh, I like to be a bit playful where it's appropriate. Sometimes it's kind of like, I'm doing that thing again, aren't I? Okay, let's just be open and see what he's got to say. Yeah, and I I do that
1: too. And I think, Trisha, that's, I think being playful and creative is really important. So when I work with people with their inner critic, I often ask them to, if they can, some people struggle with this and that's fine, it's not for everybody. But if they can, create a little persona or a voice so they can almost externalise the inner critic. And then it's easier to manage when it's not in your head you're yeah. arguing with it all the time. Yeah. Um, and there was something else you just, what else did you just say that reminded me of something? Um, um, not... Is it, you don't just believe everything you think? Yeah, there was a quote from Hamlet on, um, you know, uh, whether it is or whether it isn't, you know, it, your thoughts, your thoughts about that event are the, are the things that count, um, that isn't the exact phrase. Oh, I was going to say something else. Anyway, let's move on.
0: I'm sure it will come back to me. Yeah, so... Um, it, There's a a concept in NLP called uh, distorting, deleting, and generalizing. And I think that's also at play. So we distort things to fit our self-concept. We generalize things, may not be so relevant here, but we also delete things. So deleting in our mind the evidence that actually we are good enough. uh, Deleting that compliment that somebody gave you and really focusing um, on, on the negative thing that somebody might have said. Um, we just uh, So the understanding of that tendency, we have to do those things, which we have to do to make sense of the world because there's so much information. We It's kind of a shorthand of trying to interpret things, but sometimes it can really get in the way of, of our self-esteem and our self-concept as well. Yeah. Do you have any other tips, uh, Jess, that you can uh, give to help people to overcome this? So I, I like the idea of the externalizing um and maybe giving it a silly voice or something like that. Um, Or reducing the volume maybe.
1: Exactly that that helps. So um, sometimes my inner critic might be, you know, what seems to be a giant chimp and then um, over time I can shrink him and and it doesn't take that long anymore. Oh that's what I was going to say earlier about where your mind goes. I want to come back to that because that's another little way of of dealing with it. and I can I can shrink him and put him in a little airtight jar, you know, soundproof airtight jar, and stick him on my desk and say, "Thanks for trying to protect me. That's not very helpful right now. I need to focus on this task." Perfect. He's still there, he's still got a little place on my desk. Yeah. Um, now I, I have another form as well, which is like, um, as a teenager, I used to have nose ring and wear DMS and be a kind of indie indie kid type thing. And my other, um, and I was an angry teenager as well, uh, and my other little inner critic is a grumpy fairy, but she's like this indie kid fairy with DMs and she sits on a little rock. And when I'm not listening to her, she goes into like uber grump, like a teenager would, you know, like, no, mm, you're not listening to me, mm, <laughs> you know, rolling the eyes and side everywhere. And it's like, just, you know, personifying your your inner critic in those ways. And, and it might be that you have more than one. Um, it's not to say that you've got any kind of form of psychosis. It's just identifying the way in which you speak to yourselves. And which leads me to my next point, Trisha, is that you can also develop the kind voice you have in your head. The one that does say to your friends, hey, Trisha, how are are you? Let me listen to you. Let me soothe you. Let me reassure you. Mm. got the capacity to do that. Yeah. Ready to do. So how about turning that on and into yourself and developing that persona too? And it could be in the form of a compassionate self or um, any persona that you wish to... To think of, I think of my auntie who passed away a few months ago. I've got a picture of her in my in my loft and I look for her for inspiration because I know she's with me. And she was my compassionate soul. She would just never judge me and just always give me the best hugs, like the, hug, the kind of hugs you never want to move away from. And we need to learn to do that to ourselves too. Yeah. It's really essential. I call it parenting yourself yeah. uh, to, to, to do that, to be able to, I'm hugging myself a lot now because I can feel it, you know, to reassure yourself and soothe yourself and maybe even acknowledging, I feel really anxious and worried about this thing and maybe that's stupid to worry about it so much, but here I am and, and it's
0: okay, you know, and it's probably going to work out okay. Um, that's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, that that calms straight away, doesn't it? It really can. Yeah. I'm worried about this and it's okay, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm okay. That, those are reassuring and the voice is very important. Yeah. Calling it out can really help reduce the shame. So
1: telling someone or writing it down you're journaling how you're really feeling is really important again because you're getting it out of your head and you can look at it when you see it written down on paper or I even dictate it into my phone if I'm on a walk and there's something going on and on and on and I'm ruminating on something I'll just dictate it to my phone and I can see it and I'm then I can engage my rational brain and
0: think yeah it's not really anything to be worried about is it no okay that's about <laughs> yeah so externalizing it almost not uh, being the observer of it rather than the experience of it. I wrote that recently on a little Instagram my new my latest proverb be the
1: observer of the wheel not the hamster
0: oh nice <laughs> love
1: but, that let me just come back to something you said earlier because you said how you were able to almost see it I think and I think you'll talk about being playful and creative and there's a thing that happens sometimes between like three and 4.30 AM when you are worried about something you might find yourself waking up in the middle of the night. And that used to get to me so much. It was almost like a chronic problem. And one of the ways in which I really find useful is using mindful self-compassion and just to kind of come back to the present moment to remember to catch those thoughts and to think, oh, here I am. And to come back to the, the soft, warm mattress beneath me and, the, and to feel and maybe even to physically touch and rub the the duvet or uh, or touch the you know the mattress next to me and to remind myself in this moment I'm safe in this moment I'm
0: secure this is just my headspace messing with me you yeah. know and that now, sounds like a beautiful grounding exercise actually and now, and and, I, and you get
1: eventually get to the space where because you know what your brain is going to do and what your mind is focusing on at the moment, like the drama. And if there's no drama, it will find drama. <laughs> now, if you can imagine this, okay, um, an empty black theatre, an empty dark theatre with one stage, nobody's in the theatre, and there's just like a halogen light. It's always like this halogen light coming from your forehead. It's like, it's looking all the, all around, like, come on, where's the drama? Where's the drama? I'm looking for something to happen. And it's almost laughable now that I can think I can catch my mind looking for drama. Oh, I go to that, that difficult conversation or that particular scenario or that thing where I embarrass myself. And it's like, oh, you're so predictable. My mind is so boring and my inner critic is so uncreative. You eventually, you know, can get over it in that way as well. You always get, you know, get kind of bored a bit really. So there are lots of different ways in which you can approach the inner critic. And I, I think using a whole suite of, of tools can be really useful because at different times, different things work well.
0: Different different times, different things work. And also people will respond more to one thing than another, depending on their nature. And I know you've got a programme coming up, so I will put a link at the bottom of the page for uh, people to link to. Uh, But I would also like to ask you, I ask all of my guests, if there is a book they've read that has been particularly helpful to them, inspiring or useful, that someone also might benefit from. And I think you have a particular book in mind, don't you, Jess?
1: Yes, I do, it's called Self-Compassion and it's by Dr. Kristin Neff.
0: you have hey, it there? I am. Do I have it, shall I show it to you? Yeah, sure. Will you be able to see it because it's backwards? Uh, if you put it, yeah, there you go. Oh, Kristin Neff. Oh, she's got a fabulous book, Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook yes i would recommend on the back of that yeah she's very good isn't she it's lovely and her style and her gentle style is really lovely
1: the whole suite so you've got tara brock um you've got professor williams so he used to be my lecturer at Bangor university he's now focusing on mindful self-compassion um and there's lots of different ways in which you can apply this these principles throughout the whole of your life um so i'm a little bit of an advocate and i am trained in all of this as well so i'm I love weaving it into the cognitive behavioral work that I do with clients, it's really useful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's been so helpful, Jess, thank you very much. I do hope you found it helpful too. If you have, do please like and share because you never know who might need this right now. Uh, Also, if you wanna leave some comments below, that would be terrific. And uh, if you haven't haven't, uh, signed up already, do please do that too. Thank you so much.